This is Key the Mic, a podcast on the leading edge of fire service innovation. Join us as we unpack today's emerging issues and introduce the minds and tools at work to solve them. In our first COVID-19 Innovators episode, we learned about UV light technology and how it successfully eradicates the COVID-19 virus from surfaces. In this episode, we speak with two fire chiefs who helped resolve a dire situation in each of their departments early in the pandemic. Our first guest is Jerry Wendt, Assistant Fire Chief at Jefferson Fire Department in Wisconsin. Chief Wendt, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your department. We are a paramedic service, joint service EMS and fire. We are mostly volunteer. I got 21 years coming up in a couple weeks. I've just enjoyed doing what I'm doing and uh, moved up the ranks slowly. Interesting, I had a garbage truck start on fire in front of my house when I was younger, and that's what started my interest in the fire service careers. You shared that your innovation was inspired by your work as a painter, and with common materials and supplies, you were able to develop a cost-effective and easy-to-use disinfecting system that has been shared with departments across the U.S., Could you describe the equipment disinfecting solution and the process for our listeners? The the gun itself is something anybody can purchase. The idea came from some side work that I do when I'm not at the firehouse. I do some painting. That's where I got the idea. I saw what the CDC was suggesting or recommending for dry time and, and for cleaning chemicals. And I noticed that if I put the two together, the bleach, the water, combined with a normal spray gun, I was able to achieve what the CDC standards were set. And it worked out very well for our situation, not only for EMS, but for fire guys as well. The gun was purchased on Amazon, something that anybody can purchase. There's no restriction. It's just a simple HVLP gun. Cost is about $60, and there's nothing, there's nothing fancy about that. The solution that I'm using was a suggested decontamination solution from the CDC. It's four-part bleach to one-part regular tap water. The gun itself, the cover, there's multiple styles of these uh, spray guns. Most of them have a screw-off cover. I mix the bleach in a separate bottle, shake it up, dump it into the spray gun. Once it's in the spray gun, per the CDC and per Clorox, the bleach will not break down as long as it's not exposed to air for 48 hours. So we're allowed to use that bleach for 48 hours before we have to dump to refresh with new bleach. How did you implement this new disinfecting protocol in your department? The first thing that we did is obviously train all of our personnel on CDC requirements. I took the lead on that, figuring out what we needed, explained to them in the video. The spray gun will leave a fine mist on all surfaces better than using any kind of a wiping or any cloth or anything like that. It gets all surfaces. It stays for three to five minutes wet, which kills all of the COVID contamination that we have. We use this on our back of the ambulance. We don't use it on the driver compartment. Per our city mechanic, he suggested we do not. So in turn for that, what we did is we installed plastic between the driver compartment and the passenger compartment. So we don't have any cross-contamination from the driver compartment to the passenger compartment. It's a spray-on. You can leave it on. 
there's very little issue with oxidation or any film that is left on. You can decontaminate an entire ambulance, cot, benches, all surfaces of the, the patient bay in no more than 10 minutes. You mentioned the equipment and supplies used were cost-effective and easy to obtain. Could you say a bit more about that? I can say that uh, Cavicide or any other decontamination spray or wipes that you may purchase are much more expensive. Uh, obviously, it depends on your supplier how much the cost is, but I can get the I can get the spray gun for approximately sixty bucks online. Most departments have an air compressor in house. If not, you definitely could run it off of an SCBA bottle with a few pressure regulators, but obviously those are more more cost. A gallon of bleach is about four bucks and tap water is, I don't want to say free, but it's about as close to free as we're going to get. So the, the price comparison is not even in the same ballpark. A how-to video about using this disinfecting apparatus that was recorded in-house and initially meant for your own department's training has since been shared with departments across the U.S. What kind of response has the video received? The video itself was shared in our MAPES division, as well as because of the uh, uh, footage on the news, it has gone, um, I don't want to say viral, but it has gone It has gone to many different departments. I've received numerous phone calls with questions, asking specifics about, you know, how we make it work, what we do, where I got the information from. I've got them from Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is northern Wisconsin. I've got them from out east. I've also got them from out west. I've probably got uh, 15 or 20 specific phone calls in regards to people wanting to use this, this product. And most of our EMS services in the area are using this as well. Because of the changeable nature of the pandemic, departments everywhere are constantly adapting their response. Was this true for your department as well? Sure. Where would you like to start? Of course. I mean, every department has made modifications and everything that we've done has been changed in regards to the COVID. We limit personnel on EMS assist when fire runs an EMS assist. We limit EMS entrance into the building. If we can get away with one for a lift assist, we will. Full gowns, full respirators, face shield, goggles, not always required in every EMS call. Now we're running full protective gear. Fire guys are definitely washing gear, you know, running two sets of gear, washing gear. Most fire guys have uh, N95 in their pocket. That's different than before. Our decontamination is definitely different. We chase our rescue with our command vehicle and have our contaminated people jump in our rescue, our non-contaminated people jump in our command vehicle to return them so we don't have cross-contamination. The whole cleaning process, physically cleaning of the station has changed greatly. And, And not only in the way we do it, but the amount of time that it takes to do it is is greatly increased as well. Following the pandemic, what changes do you see with regard to fire department safety? I think if nothing else, maybe this is an eye-opener to the fire service. Uh, personally, I have never dealt with anything of this nature. I, I, I would venture that's the truth for many departments. This gave us a taste of, of what could come if there was something worse than the COVID pandemic. I believe that this was basically an eye-opener and and it will change everything we do, not only from 
you know, standard operating procedures to simple stuff, decontamination, everyday usage of the fire equipment, EMS equipment is going to be changed due to the whole COVID. It maybe opened up some eyes and and, uh, got the thought process going. And if we do have another pandemic, that we will be a little more prepared. Pandemic or no, many would agree the fire service is most effective when it is responsive and adaptive to a community's needs. What are your thoughts about adapting to the community? I think that the fire service is great for adaptation. That's what we do in the fire service. We we take what we're given with the standard operating procedures and we adapt them to fit what we do. Not freelancing, but adaptation. I think that we as the fire service were maybe better prepared or better able to handle the changes than some of the hospitals, some of the other medical care places that we're not able to take those changes and and go with them. Tyler Off, Fire Chief with South Fork Fire Department in Colorado, joined us to talk about how he tackled the PPE shortage in his small department. Chief Off, please tell us a bit about yourself. I actually started volunteering at this very station that I'm now the chief of um, back in 2001. Volunteered for a while, ended up in Fort Collins, worked for them for five years, and then came back here to South Fork and and have been chief since 2007. Chief Off shared that his small department doesn't command a lot of purchasing power, so when the pandemic hit, they had a tough time acquiring PPE and other supplies. One of the ways they mitigated this issue was by developing a UV light chamber to disinfect masks. Chief Off, armed with knowledge about UV light technology, began researching options for PPE disinfection. The idea came about because we realized early on, you know, we're a small service, so getting getting supplies is a little more difficult for us because we can't do the volume ordering that some other people do. I was familiar with UV sanitation just from my previous education, and then um, we decided early on that we needed to figure out a way to utilize that to help with our mass shortage. And we knew that the UV was maybe a better option because we didn't have to subject the mass to anything liquid that we might be breathing later. The simple to build and use UV light chamber allowed South Fork Fire Department crews multiple uses of their masks, helping to preserve their PPE. What were your department's goals with the chamber? And you mentioned that you created a brochure to help other departments build similar chambers. What was the response? Our goal was just one mask at a time. Like I said, we're a small service, um, but you could scale this to any any scale. And I know I've spoke with many fire departments that have scaled up to do multiple masks or tens or hundreds at a time. But we just built a simple small box. Our goal when we developed it was to make something that was relatively cheap, you know, around $100, maybe $150 that anybody could build with simple tools. We sourced the UV lights from a... HVAC company. They use UV occasionally in HVAC systems. So we try to make sure that the materials were readily available and so that this could be useful to anybody. And so we put together a short instructional pamphlet that we sent out, you know, how to build it only takes maybe an hour to do. And we got really good response. Early in the pandemic, so much was unknown about the virus and how to safely and effectively eradicate it. What precautions did you take to ensure a positive outcome with chamber use? There was nothing like this out there because nobody does this. Nobody disinfects a mask. You just traditionally throw them away. So in 
this case, we decided we'll use some of the other people's research and look at what they found that UV is successful doing and then calculate out you know, what it's going to take to disinfect that mask. So it took a lot of calculations. We put together uh, a lot of calculations. I had our doctors look at it and everything, and we decided this was was feasible and safe. And we did it with a big margin of safety too, so that if our calculations were a little bit off, we, we had a huge safety factor in there. I imagine the materials had to be easily sourced since everything was in short supply early on. What did you use to create the chamber? Um, so it's really simple. Like I said, there's a pamphlet out there. It's just a simple plywood box. We initially lined it with mirrors, but later after we had disseminated the information, uh, I found out from some much smarter people that um, the UV light actually reflects better off of something as simple as tinfoil. So we, we modified our design a little bit there, which actually made it a little bit cheaper and easier to manufacture. But simple plywood box, two UV lights where the mask is suspended in the middle, one UV light above and one UV light below so that we get real good coverage. And then the box has got a door and a seal on it. And part of that reason is because the UV light also makes ozone when it's when it's on. Um, and the ozone is also a disinfectant. So we tried to seal that box up to, to gain the benefits of the ozone. We didn't even consider the ozone in our calculations, but between the ozone and the UV, the masks come out well, well sanitized. Could you briefly explain how the disinfection process works? Yeah, so there's some hooks in the side. You stick the mask in there, it kind of suspends it by its rubber bands right in the middle um, so that there's no shadowing whatsoever. And you put it in there, um, shut the door, and then we've got a timer hooked up to it. And we had had initially, with the calculations, said that it would take 10 minutes to do the the sanitation. Uh, What we later found, we got some... UV dose meter cards, and we were able to put those in there to get an idea if we were getting the performance we wanted. And we actually found that as little as three minutes was was doing the job. Right now we're doing five just to be safe, but pop it in there, let it sit for five minutes. The timer goes off, makes a little ding, and guys go get their mask. Your research on this subject has been extensive, but what did you find out through testing along the way? So we did some experimenting there. Um, we found that 10 was a good number. Um, you could disinfect as many as 10 times. We actually ran some masks through there a whole bunch of times with for, for a long duration to see, because UV is eventually going to degrade the material of the mask. Um, but it took a really long time for that to, to start to happen. Um, so we do 10 times. To tell you the truth, what we found in practice is that we usually don't get to the 10 because people just wearing their masks that often, they start to become soiled and need to be thrown away before then anyway. But we're getting, you know, five to six uses pretty easily out of a out of a mask. With the uncertainty of the virus and ever-changing guidelines, how has your department responded? Um, so we've tried to follow the the CDC guidelines for, for all of that. They've been real helpful with keeping keeping us informed. One other creative thing that we kind of did on our transport ambulance, we decided, you know, those guys are subjected to being exposed to a COVID patient in a confined space of an ambulance for you know, five hours, some of our, our transfers take that long. Wow. So we decided that, you know, sitting in the back with just an N95 was maybe not as safe as we'd like it to be. So we started using a positive pressure breathing system. We actually stole that system out of the sandblasting world. They use a remote positive pressure systems all the time in that, in that environment. So we have a pump that supplies breathing air to the uh, tendon in the back and the pump is located up in the front in the cab where 
the cab is all sealed off. We've got that all sealed off and it's a separate environment, bringing in an outside air. And then the attendant can, can breathe that clean air. And it keeps them a little cooler too, because it sitting in, sitting and breathing in an N95 mask is not real fun for five hours. There is no playbook for this pandemic, but your innovation has been shared all over the U.S. to help combat it. What are your thoughts about that? You know, I think it's awesome that so many, so many people in the fire service stepped up and, um, got creative. I think that's what firefighters are strong at doing is, is getting the job done and being creative like that. Um, I, I think I just would reiterate that we need to, we need to keep that mentality and, um, not lose focus on, on how serious the COVID actually is and, and not get lax on it. Chiefs, thank you for joining us. As we move further into the pandemic, our hope is that protecting first responders remains a priority and that simple solutions like the ones you developed will see even greater usage. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Stay safe out there and until next time. For more information about our podcast and today's episode, visit our website at keythemic.org. That's key the mic.org. That's keythemic.org.